News Bulletin, Dallas, Texas, Dealey Plaza, Laura Dern has been shot in cold blood. That's all I got. Yeah, so Laura Dern's dead. Um, guess we can stop doing this dumb podcast now. Ben Harper wearing a pink pillbox hat covered in blood. The shooter, none other than Jeff Goldblum. Oh no! It was a, it was a crime of passion, they say. Aww. Laura Dern's not dead. It's just us. That's dead. We're back! We took our usual week off between shows, and yep. uh, we took our usual two weeks off between shows, and we're uh, chipper and ready to go. Hey, mind you, I think we're damn near 40 episodes on the year. Actually, yeah, we I we did have oh we had a number that I was gonna say and I don't remember it now. We've had over four hundred people listen to our show. Yeah, or over four hundred listens. It could have just been the same three people. Thanks, mom. Thank you. My mom doesn't listen. Thank you, Jabria. I guess you're out there. Thank you, other moms, non moms, other moms, tons of moms, non blondes. Four, four of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, so much has happened. I had a cold. I now have a mullet. Max is here. Um, yeah. I wouldn't... Nick says mullet, and if you know Nick, you might be anticipating a very, like, mullety mullet, it's, but it actually is, like, a, a tasteful cut. It's coming along. My whole family had words about it when I was home for Thanksgiving. It's sort of like a, a Theo Vaughn cut. If I knew what that meant, I might be offended. No, he seems all right. I don't really know who he is, but Theo he has a haircut like Is that like, like you. Vince Vaughn's... I believe he's a comedian. Twin brother? No, V-O-N. The evil twin? Which isn't a last name, it's the first part of a last name. Hmm. Which is unsettling, but he does have sort of the the shaved side mullet. It's stylish, Nick looks good. Nick looks lovely, he's wearing a shirt that is offensive towards the bald. Yes, I do hate the bald, that is a famous fact. Yep. I'm wearing uh, pants that could be described as mossy oak, and I'm wearing bowling shoes. That he didn't steal, which is the wrong way to do it. Look, man, I don't know what you want from me. I only had two weeks off, and I think every bowling alley is closed. You gotta break in and steal the shoes. <laughs> you know what, you're right. I'm I'm wrong here. <laughs> well, uh, Laura Dern is still alive as of right now. Um, her daughter and mother both recently celebrated a birthday. Happy birthday, Dern family. Mr. Ms. Ladd and um, Young Dern, young Dernette. Dern Harper. Dern Harper, that's her name, right? Yeah. Dern <laughs> Harper. First name Dern, Dern. Harper Dern. <laughs> Dern Harper Dern Harper, attorney at law. Um, yeah, also, Laura Dern has reappeared on TikTok, her daughter's TikTok specifically. Oh, really? They did a little dance. Yeah. What kind of dance? Um, I think her daughter was doing some sort of TikTok dance where, while Laura Dern was just like doing something in the kitchen. She was like next to her. And then at the end, Laura Dern did a little, little, little boot scootin' boogie through the frame. All right. It was okay. nice. It was okay. A friend of mine sent it to me because she yeah. knows we, um, Dern. <laughs> Have you thought about now that we are going to be tied to Laura Dern for the rest of our lives? Yes. Like if we stop doing this today, if we didn't even release this episode, people are going to send us Laura Dern things in perpetuity. Oh yeah, the day she does, in fact, get get murdered by an <laughs> ex-lover. The day she is murdered, justifiably. <laughs> the day she is put to death for her crimes. We we will be at the front of the celebrations yep. in our crowns and fur coats. Will you go to the hanging? 
I mean, I kind of have to. I, <laughs> I don't know how to say this and not make it sound weird. I think a public execution would be cool to go to. Like hmm. once. Just why? I just want to... See, people used to love them. Yeah, I, I think, right, in my ideal world, we would not, in fact, have public executions. I mean, I don't want them to have. Or executions but... of any kind. But given that we do, in fact, live in a society filled with bloodlust, like, you'd think they'd give us that. I mean, that's a whole, like, 20-minute George Carlin bit. The Death Channel. They should just, like, <laughs> kill people on TV. Why not? Yeah, like, well, how come... Bump up Why don't ratings? we have, like... Gladiators and just people trying to fight tigers. Oh, imagine. We have a zoo. We could do it right now. Right? Life is a nightmare. I'm just a kid. <laughs> that should be. <laughs> New national anthem I'm Just a Kid by The Simple Life. The. the... The the COVID vaccine is actually just like, they lead you into a room full of tigers to fend them off. Damn, but if you beat the tigers, you're immune. It's true. (sighs) Wow. What's going on, Nick? Us. The holidays are here. That's fun. Uh, Joe Biden broke his leg because, no, he broke his foot when he was getting out of the shower because he pulled his dog's tail and then fell. Is that, I didn't realize they gave us that much detail? I've heard that, and it's, I believe it wholeheartedly, (laughs) that he was just getting out of the shower and his dumb new dog was there, and he was just like, ah, I'm gonna pull your tail. He's like leaning in for a sniff, and just (laughs) fell down, because he's a little wrinkly Joe just Uh tumbled out of the shower. Good speckled Joe. My God, he's, no, he'll probably have the boot off. I was gonna say, he will probably be the, the first... Uh, the first inaugurated president to be wearing a visible medical device. <laughs> that sounded a lot less cool well, than it did in my head. FDR, if you were in the room. Ah, uh, well, I guess. They, Ken- they, prom- they propped him up. Eh, no one knew about Kennedy. It's true. He was just popping amphetamines and wearing his back brace. <laughs> Put... And, um... Having a lot of sex. I was trying to think of a clever way to say that that involves skirts and stiff, but it just didn't come out. (laughs) All I've had today is coffee and small cookies. Yep. So I thought about something last night. Okay. Then I'll let you talk. Seemed like you were ready to talk. I got nothing. Um, So it was raining last night, and my house is at a particular angle that, like, the rain pitter-patters against the window that's right next to my bed. And as it was happening... I thought of that phrase, like, the pitter-patter of children's feet and the pitter-patter of rain on the window, and then I combined them in my head, and I imagined just disembodied children's feet being pelted against your window at night. Mm-hmm. And that's all I got. Those are the ghost orphans. Yeah, Nick. the pitter-patter of baby feet against the window. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta sweep them out every morning. There's just a big <laughs> pile of feet by your window. I don't know where they're coming from. Just all... <laughs> you're, you're reading a tome in your, your study, <laughs> Nick's home actually has the dubious honor of being the location of the deaths of 40 chimney sweeps. They just kept sending them They sent one after the other. Turned out they never put the fire out. Yeah, it's a bummer. Got one of those real twisty ones, too. (laughs) Are you familiar with chimney sweep scrotum? I'm about to be. Oh, yes, you are. Well, I've been listening to another Philadelphia-based podcast, My Favorite Malady. It is done by two lovely employees of the Mütter Museum. 
And they basically just talk about what their favorite um, malady or medical issue is. It's dark humor. It's fun. They talk about museum-related things. So I enjoy it quite a bit. Recently, they had an episode where they discussed what I just said, chimney sweeps scrotum. Basically, um, chimney sweeps used to be young boys that were mostly naked, so they wouldn't get stuck on anything. And they would shove them down a chimney and have them clean. And uh, back then, you didn't bathe very often because you were poor and they didn't understand hygiene. So all that caked ash soot. and soot and carbon would just sit in all your folds. And then by the time you were a middle adult, you'd have terrible cancer of the penis and testicles, usually involving a removal. Yeah. And these, of course, were the lucky chimney sweeps yes, who the... didn't die <laughs> in the chimney, hard which to... was very easy to Hard do. to believe Dick Van Dyke is still alive. <laughs> <laughs> he must just be like a Ken doll down there. Just nothing. <laughs> Smooth as eggs. <laughs> Smooth as a baby. Oh, man. That is frightening. Yeah, so don't be a chimney sweep. You're small, too. You would have been... But I'm a little... I'm somewhat broad-shouldered. I'm sure when you were a lad, though. It's true. I was a a wee boy. Those boys are bendy. I was a little thimble of a man. (laughs) They'd shove you in any hole that moved. Ah, that was a phrase I just said. (laughs) So what's up with you, Max? How's the scrotum? Scrotum's good. Good. No soot. (laughs) No soot. No soot. I just showered. Just I lathered checked. well. Good. Um, I have very little to report because life is just this endless cycle of me. I left my house twice this week. Ooh. That was good. Cool. I went to the grocery store. Ooh, yeah. Spicy. Riveting. Is that new uh, German grocery store open yet? I haven't been yet, but it opened the other day. We mm. have an Aldi in my neighborhood. So congratulations to the gentrifiers of Fairmount. Um, this is what you were waiting for. The Germans are taking over, and boy, am I happy about it. Yeah, about time. About, about time. This, this same thing probably happened on, like, a Polish podcast in, like, the 1930s. <laughs> hey, man. Another German grocery store. <laughs> Another one. This is great. I love it. Yeah. Thank, exotic cuisine. Thank you, overlords. Ah, <laughs> uh, there, there's this kind of sausage and that kind of sausage. And don't get me started on the sauerkraut. Oh. Uh. And do so much with boiled cabbage. Oh, God. <laughs> Qu- cuisine is an art, and boiled cabbage is the German's paintbrush. <laughs> God, I just don't get it. Cabbage? No, like sauerkraut. Yeah. I like cabbage. Like, I like a good pig stomach, if you will, but... No, sauerkraut. It's bad. Yeah, I feel like it, it makes a good addition to, like, a gross, stewy, potato-y, sausage thing. Um, but uh, you don't want too much cabbage. And that's that's <laughs> rough for the colon, that's a, and that's why we're here. That's a good life lesson. You know, I was backed up. After Thanksgiving for a good week, I was just home. I was eating all this food, all, very few vegetables, and uh, yeah, I had a, I had like a cold, rock a coal in there. Yeah, because you didn't have the cabbage, Nick. This is what the sauerkraut's for. I know. I finally broke it up, but it, I'm like my pants weren't fitting. Like I had real problems. Yeah. Too much. You get a case of cabbage colon, which is my favorite malady. <laughs> cabbage colon. I don't. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to imagine it. I imagine it stings. Ooh. 
No, it's, it's more just opening the floodgates. Oh, God. It, it just doesn't stop. Yeah. Drippage. Good it's like Lord. it's like a siphon. Oh, ooh, ooh, like <laughs> when you're like when you're cleaning a fish tank and you just start the hose yep. and it just keeps going. <laughs> oh, it'll <laughs> suck you dry like thinner. Oh wow. Well, I don't even know if I. What can... a lovely show. We really we talked. Tell your grandparents. <laughs> I was looking at the demos. Not enough elderly. Scrotum cancer. Uh, <laughs> Cabbage cold. Butt stuff at large. <laughs> Laura Dern is dead. We've really, we've really done the- We're qu- bad people. The queen's gambit, if you will. I'm glad that's a phrase no one's using right now. I'll coin it. <sighs> ah, yes. Coffee, coffee. Well, do you want to start this shit show? Sure. <sighs> Welcome to Dern After Reading. Dern- oh, I- <laughs> Introduce the show yet? Wow! That Here was... we talk about all things Laura Dern. Yes, Laura Dern is the only topic to. we cover. <laughs> what she's been doing, <laughs> the films and TV shows, the life, love, and laugh of Laura. Laura Dern. Dern. Life, laugh, love. Life, laugh, love. Uh... <laughs> Just like that knockoff sign I have. Ah, <laughs> uh, we love signs. Speaking of signs. Um, I, don't, I don't know where I was going with oh, that. Oh, I thought you had a segue, because you said speaking of signs. Did somebody say segue? This week, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even look at when this movie came up, so I'm going to doodly do Nick watched quick. a movie. You don't even know what it's called. <laughs> I want to say it's called Transformers, <laughs> no. but that isn't right. <laughs> it might be called Train Spotting. Tra- yes, Train Spotting. <laughs> this week I decided I'm, I was going to scrap my actual project and just do Train Spotting. <laughs> Um, so heroin. Here we go. So the year is 2009. Picture it. 2009. Buffalo, New York. Saddest place in America. <laughs> I've been to Buffalo. It's sad. Buffalo was having sort of a, a renaissance in 2009. They were trying to revitalize their downtown. Fair enough. I was in Buffalo, I'm going to say two years ago. It was cool. It was a ghost town. Um, I stayed in the tallest building, which was the hotel. Um, there was a pool near the top. That was cool. Um, we went to a Mexican restaurant where my dad found a screw in his rice. <laughs> but the food was very good. I enjoyed it quite good, quite well. So to our listeners, don't go to Buffalo for the Mexican <laughs> yeah, so food. Basically, long story short, don't go to Buffalo. It's awful. But my cousin lives there with his new baby and wife, so it's cool, I guess. All right. If you want a garbage plate, Buffalo. Yeah. So, Buffalo. The outskirts of Buffalo. So it's more sad. Um, we start with what is this movie? Oh, did I not say the name? No. Then it's called Tenderness. Tenderness. Um, let me just start by saying, don't watch this movie. Okay, it's bad. It's not good. Um, it jumps around a lot, so I'm going to do my best. Uh, we open on one of our main characters, Russell Crowe, talking about whatever. It doesn't matter. I wasn't listening. Um, and then we open on a very. A very, um, what's a good word for this? Like, she looks like Britney Spears, like, as a teenager. But, like, if Britney Spears was a goth girl and she wasn't wearing any of her goth makeup. So, like, she has very non-existent eyebrows. She's very pale. 
she's just has a very deep sadness in her face and she's <laughs> is this laura dern no it is not Damn. we're gonna meet a lot of blonde women before we meet laura dern in this. Okay. she's blonde by the way so we're in a grocery store which just from the look of it you can tell it's a grocery store in a in a chinatown okay like it just has that look about it like there's like there's like pots in the back and there's those little cats and like just like weird canned asian things like you can clearly tell it's not a grocery store that is managed by a white man, but sure. it is. We're in his office right now. Okay. She is holding up her shirt, wearing a bra, and he is jerking off to her, which I felt was they very... They jump right in. They really did. It was very sad. Almost more sad that he was just jerking off at a teenager just showing her bra. Mm-hmm. That makes me sound like a monster, but like, you know, it was sad. And she did this to get a CD, we find out. Ah, oh, 2009. <laughs> what a time. Um, yeah, but a CD of an artist that I seemed fake, like there was just a guy on it. It could have been real, could have been fake. 2009 was a long time ago. Almost over a decade now. A decade and a quarter, I guess you'd call it. A 11 years. Nickel? 11 years. <laughs> 14 score and two nickels ago. <laughs> 2009. Um, so she gets this... And then she's walking home through sad, sad outskirts of Buffalo. She walks, like, along a wooded path and then, like, through a decrepit drive-in theater. And then she gets home. She's taking a shower and, like, there's a guy there who's clearly not her dad. We find out later it's her mom's boyfriend who's kind of scummy. And, like, she's very careful to lock the bathroom door and put a hamper in front of it. And she's, like, taking a hot shower and she's real sad and stuff. And then, like, she hears something when she gets out of the shower. The hamper was moved. So Gary's a creep, probably. Mm -hmm. We'll find out more later. But uh, Mom comes home. She seems decent. Not a terrible mom like we've had in recent Dernland among us. And then she gives her a gift for doing so well in school. The very same CD that she let a man jerk off at her for. And she's looking at This is like a sadder gift of the Magi. It really is. And she's just like, you can see in her face, like she's thankful, but she's so sad. And then the mom is like, the boyfriend, he's going to move in with us. He's not just going to be here a few nights a week. And he's just like... He's scummy, but, like, low-key scummy. Like, you can't quite tell if he does bad things or if he just, like, is a weird guy. Um, it's Michael Kelly, if you're familiar with that actor. Like, I'm, not, but I'm, about to I'm sure he is a fine man, but he has a face where, like, he can play scummy very well. Oh, yes, you may know him as Doug Stamper from House of Cards. Yeah, like, um, he's... He's fine. I'm sure he's a great man, but like he can do scummy. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> he has very good face. at being a piece of shit. And like if if, he, if they thin his hair out just the tiniest bit, he is full on offender. Like <laughs> good for that guy. He has it on lock. Um. So so far we have two blonde women, no Dern. Um. And then we go to Russell Crowe. A cop? Question mark. He's sleeping upright in a chair. You know how cops do when they're broken. Um, and then it's like, the whole movie is just peppered with this, um, confusing dialogue that Russell Crowe is having with himself, where he's just, like, talking about pain and loss and how, like, you're either chasing pleasure or experiencing pain. It's kind of annoying. Is it, like, noir No, not at all. Oh, okay. I feel like he... The, the story plays as if he wants it to be a noir, and then it flashes around to different stories a lot. It's... It's three stories altogether. Okay. And they flash around as if it were 12, and it's really annoying. 
There's this one shot of the murder boy, which I'll get to in a minute, and it literally shows the same thing 27 times. And you, by the second time, you know exactly what's happening, but they don't actually say it. And then at the very end, they show the actual, like, uncut scene, and you're like, no shit. (laughs) Of course she was dead. What the fuck? Okay, so, um, he's semi-retired, he's very clearly burnt out and sad, he's like, he has one of those weird, like, sponges, sponge on a stick mops. Which I feel like is a sign of either a grandma or a sad man. Yeah. And he's scrubbing the floor. A broken police oh, lieutenant. Yeah. He He's going through these VHS tapes in a drawer that are all labeled like Florida 02, Maui 98, etc. And um, then he he's we see him then like in what looks like a break room. And he's preparing this gourmet meal. And I was like, oh, so he's at the cop place making himself a fancy lunch. That's odd. But then he goes over to his... Um, <laughs> A good word for this. His, a woman. We find out it's his wife. She. <laughs> What's a good word for this? Well, a woman. I didn't want to break out vegetable right off the bat, but we'll get there later. Okay. Um, she is clearly very ill. She can't move or blink or talk. Although apparently she does talk. We just never see it because, you know, why would they want to give us that? <laughs> why would we want to see the sick wife talking? Um, and he's what they, he like brings these tapes to watch with her. It's a little heartfelt. Yeah, I don't like this guy. <laughs> he he gets worse as the movie goes on. He's, like, not even really a cop. He's just kind of stalking a boy. And it's, like, it's this weird thing where it goes back and forth between it seeming like he's doing the right thing and it being, like, too much and, like, beyond what he should be doing. I don't know. I feel like if you were of a certain mindset, you would be very for the cop. I feel like if you like cops, you're like, oh, yeah, Russell Crowe's character is good. If you don't like cops as much, you're like, he's not doing a good job. But we'll get there. Um, okay. Gary, his creepy stepdad, mom, daughter. They're sitting in the living room, and we see a news story about a young man who is getting out of jail. He killed both of his parents, and he basically, he was tried as a child because he was on a lot of antidepressants, and he argued that that made him unstable. And he's also a child. Yes. He is. I think when he gets out, he's like maybe 18. Okay. So he's getting out, and we see, like, the daughter's eyes light up. And... Sorry, this jumps around so much. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, then we go back. We're in, we're in juvie. We're in the jail. Um, Russell Crowe is visiting the boy. We find out that he was the te- detective on the case. Okay. And Russell Crowe is there, and he's basically... He's just talking to this boy who is, like, clearly very remorseful at this point of what he's done. And he understands he's getting out, and he gets to, like, go to college and be a real person. And Russell Crowe basically just says to his face, like, I know you're a complete psychopath who will kill again. Like, he says all these things that up to this point there is no grounds for. <laughs> he's just like, you're you're a maniac, and I'm not going to let you get away with it again. And the kid is just like, huh? I'm just a kid. Which we find out he's not, but, like, still. Right. Kind of weird. Kind of a weird this, angle this to child. do to a still child. Um, he gives him a cross, like a little crucifix, and he's like, best of luck. I'm going to be watching you, which is creepy. And then um, we go back to the girl. She's in her bedroom. She has this secret diary that she hides behind the drawers in her dresser. And it's not a diary at all, actually. It's just a, I'm in love with this murder boy who's on the news a lot journal. Ooh. So again, that's a new angle. It's got some I, like... I hate that this movie sucks because I, I want it to be good. Oh, no. Like at this point, I had hope. Like yeah. I was like, ooh, it's going to be like a... Uh, what's that? Um, 
natural born killers. I was expecting right. like that kind of vibe, and it's just really sad and not life affirming at all. Yeah, and it's it you have to have a really fucked up movie for natural born killers to be life affirming compared to it. But we'll get there. Um, so, and then we cut to Russell Crowe sitting in a soda fountain. He's just at a soda fountain at night. There's like three other people there, and he is reviewing the most gruesome crime photos I could ever imagine someone looking at while sitting at the counter at a soda fountain. Like, just straight-up murder pictures of a girl. You haven't spent enough time in Buffalo. I guess. (laughs) There's a soda fountain on every block, and there's a burnt-out cop just looking at fucking dead bodies. He's looking at all these things. He sees these pictures of a woman who we will be very familiar with because this is the scene that we get shown 45 times. It's the murder boy with a woman, they're like sitting on a blanket in the woods and he's like, he has like this ribbon and he's like running it up and down her body. But we don't see her face, we just see like body, so it seems innocent. Spoiler right. alert, he killed her. And at the very end you finally see her dead face, which is not a spoil. you know. Right. The first time you see it, you're like, oh, she's dead. Yeah. And basically he's like sitting there and he's talking to himself and he's like, oh, this boy killed this girl and probably another woman. And this all happened before he killed his parents. Um, and then the waitress is like, I could get you a magazine if you want, basically saying, like, can you fucking stop? You're creeping out everyone else here. Because he's looking at murder pictures. And he's like, ah, grumbles and then stops. <sighs> the boy is snuck out of juvie, out the back way, which is interesting. Because I feel like in movies you usually see the thing where, like, the publicity-laden person in jail is taken out the front door and there's just, like, paparazzi mm-hmm. pictures. Where in real life that almost never happens. Like, when Al Capone was let out of Eastern State, they did it the day before they announced it was happening, and then on the day they just let it double out, and everyone was like, oh, it's Al Capone. But it wasn't. It was a fake. Sorry if I sound crazy. This movie really <laughs> is exhausting to talk. I feel like the last three weeks I've had the most exhausting, unrewarding films. I haven't looked at next week. Yeah, though. thanks, Darren. I, thanks to come be in better movies. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, God. Um... Dern, finally. 20 minutes in, we get Dern. By the way... We're only 20 minutes in? We are 20 minutes into this almost two-hour film. I might... I might go (laughs) run some errands. You just keep talking. I'm gonna... It gets... It doesn't get better. We'll... We'll go. Um... By the way, she's barely in this movie. I feel so stupid for watching this movie as long as I... You got downsized. Uh, Uh... Not quite downsized, but... I would say she spent twice the amount of time in this movie as she did in Downsize. Okay. That being said, she was in Downsize for four minutes. Yeah. So that Dern is his Aunt Tessa. He's going to stay with her, which is weird because, you know, he killed her sister and uh, brother-in-law. And we the first time we see her, she's like making a bed or something. And he comes downstairs and she's very intense, which I get. Her her murder nephew is now living with her alone in a house. Intense, like, intense towards him? Not Fearful? Real. I would say fearful. Like, she's sitting at the breakfast table and she's, like, clearly a little uncomfortable. Right. Which, I don't know, I feel like if I was in her position, like a 40-something woman and my nephew just moved in, without the murder thing, I'd be a little uncomfortable for the first week. With the murder thing, hella uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, she, like, she's uncovering the family car, which she got... Like, at one point. And um, he prays, and she's like, you don't have to do that. And he's like, I want to, because clearly he's trying to, like, repress all his urges of murder. He has, like, I'll get to it later, but he's, like, he has a little part of, like, every popularly fictionalized serial killer. 
Okay. He's, like, trying to pray the murder away, and he also, like, took trophies, and he also has, like, a very specific type of girl he likes to kill. Okay. It's just, like, all this stuff. It's all this stuff. Uh, The type of girl he likes to kill is his parents. It was, like, short brown women. By brown, I mean, like, like, deep, like, Mediterranean, Spanish. Yeah. Like, at one point, he's masturbating while watching The Maid. And this and is she, this is why, right? The the tanning beds of the aughts of two thousand nine sort of went out of favor. Exactly, just like the murder boy. Exactly, just like um, you know, that one haircut in New York, in Long Island right. went out of style. Was it brown hair? <laughs> Which are you talking? Uh, you're not talking Son of Sam. Yeah. Oh, wasn't there in New York City? Well, Long Island. Don't too. put that on us. It happened everywhere. We have, we have Amy Fisher and Joey Buttafuoco. We've got the, the still at large hooker murderer. Oh, the um, hooker. But we don't. Son of Sam ain't ours. I mean, I think people. I have heard, my friend who grew up in Long Island told me that her mom, who lived in Long Island at the time, changed her, changed her hairstyle because she was worried. She's probably working in the city. Had a good job in the city, working for the man every night and day. Big wheel keep dying your hair so you don't get, get murdered by a big man talking to his dog <laughs> who's Love also it. Satan. Nah. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! I don't even know where I am anymore. Um, girl. Oh, we see uh, our girl. I don't know her name. I'm just gonna call her girl. Creepy goth girl. Oh, okay. Uh, creepy Britney Spears, not goth goth. Sure. Um, she is hitchhiking to get to the murder boy because she knows he got out. Um, she like propositions this guy at a gas station and like she's like basically like i'll fuck you if you drive me and he like they kiss for a little bit and then he starts sobbing and that's all you see but clearly he's like married or something and then he like she steals some money and then leaves and then she finally gets there and then she's just like outside with the news like watching him while he is on the phone with a girl he met in juvie and he's like i'm gonna come and meet you at funland which is a upstate New York amusement park dash motel. I did not look into its reality, although I really want to go there because it seems you, you keep crazy. Um, we cut back inside the house. We see like Laura Dern is like locking the door behind her because you know she lives with a murderer, and then she like unlocks because she's like I'm gonna trust him. Um, she sees that he, she she has like one of those phones that says like if another phone in the house is used, she sees he's using it because he's calling his fake girlfriend and she like doesn't spy on him but like she's very suspicious there is no funland there was a hanukkah funland in buffalo in december of 2017 but that appeared to be a seasonal event i would love to go to hanukkah funland um (sighs) (laughs) it's the moment of silence i just don't even know what's going on here so he's on the phone with her, and he's very clear. Like at this point, you start to see like, oh, he's 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 crazy. Like he's a very clearly a sociopath, psychopath, murderer. Sure. It cuts back to like him like thinking about killing and like thinking about his victim and all this stuff. And at this point, you're like, oh, this could go poorly for some people. And then he's, he gets in his car and he's like going to look at colleges where actually he's going to murder bang this little girl, woman, person he met in juvie. Um, and guess what? Surprise! Little goth girl is hiding in the trunk. 
Wow. Yeah, she, like, got into his car, and she's, like, there, and then they're together. she's, like, obsessed with Oh, yeah, she, like, we find out at one, like, she wants to both, like, be with him and also be murdered by him. Oh, okay. And she's, like, deeply in love with him, and he's incapable of love, because, you know... Again, this movie could have been good. It really, like, at every turn, I was like, oh, this could have been good. And, like, uh, I'll get, okay. Um, So they swerve, and, like, they do this big thing, and then the guys, like, get in the front seat, don't talk. And this cop comes up, and he's like, just be careful, blah, 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 I'll let you off the warning. And then he sneezes. Which I thought was very weird. <laughs> he, just, he, like, they, he like hands him his license and he just sneezes. And I was like, what, what point? They just kept that and in. It felt like they just... <laughs> like, it It felt like it happened and I was like, oh, this is gonna... Like, that's the point where I knew this movie was not gonna get better. Yeah. And then he walks away and the first thing the girl says is, I don't think I've ever seen a Chinese cop before. <laughs> and he was Chinese. And I guess, like, from... From this point on, the only things the girl says is, like, just crazy, like, hot topic teenager girl things just to, like, beat in the fact that she is, like, a naive child who has never left her town. Like, at one point, she's, like, fake smoking, and she's like, God, I wish I smoked. She gives herself, like, a fake star tattoo on her hip with a ballpoint pen at one point. She's unbearable. Like, (laughs) she just reminds me of high school, and, like, I'm not about it. Um, Jesus. And she just, she is talking continuously for about five minutes in the car. The last thing she says before there's like a change in scenery is, I'm not old Susie Cream Cheese or whatever. Yeah. I'm not old. That's the most hot topic thing anyone could say. I I guess this is to mean she is not like a plain Jane kind of person. Right. I could have been fooled because she talks in crazy buffalo gibberish, but... (laughs) whatever by the way i'm over halfway through my notes now so we're getting somewhere um he basically says i would like you to leave he's very polite like he keeps almost being redeemable he gets less redeemable as it goes on and at the end he like pulls a big redeemable but we'll get there so he basically says like i'm gonna give you money i'm gonna drop you off you're gonna leave and she's like she just she's She's, like, pressing the fact that she wants pity really hard. She's like, I'm a freak. Nobody likes me. And he feels bad, which is weird because I didn't think he could feel. And I would prefer him not to feel because right. that would make this so much better. Like, this movie would have been fine if he just ditched her or, like, killed her one of the four times he tried. Right. Which we'll get to. <laughs> um, we have to get to all these things. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. It's just, like, we... <laughs> it's I'm, not your fault. <laughs> it's this movie. It's this fucking stupid movie. Um, so he, at the first, the first time he's like asking her to leave and she's like, but I know about the river, the river meaning like, okay, <laughs> just touch the mic a little, it made me worried. So the river meaning like when he killed that girl by the river and she's like, I know about the river. And he's like, haha. And then he like does this very like, um, Bundy, like he locks the doors and laughs, like unlocks them and laughs. And it's like a, just a very yeah. heavy serial killer thing. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. And then they just drive off laughing. They go to a truck stop, buffet. Um, <laughs> there's this, there's a heating dish and it looks like it's, I'm going to say cabbage, potatoes, and brown. <laughs> and it, the, the girl says, ooh, curry. I've always wanted to try this. <laughs> she gets it and it's terrible. That's the whole joke. Um, uh, she, they, she then is a little more specific. She's like, oh, I was that little girl on the bridge that you passed when you were leaving. Remember you were with 
that lady down by the river. And this whole movie is basically her saying that and him saying, I don't know what you're talking about. There wasn't a girl. And it's just, I feel so exhausted right now. <laughs> just describing what's going on here. Um, they basically just had this brief, awkward interaction. He's like, what are you doing out here? You lost? He's like, I'm just exploring. And he's like, okay. And that's like the entire interaction they had. And this led her to be completely head over heels in love with him for the last four-ish years. Sure. I guess. Why not? Uh, Crow is now at Dern's home. And he's basically like, oh, I just wanted to stop by and see how the boy's doing. And Laura Dern's like, you're a fucking cop. Get out of here. And then uh, he's like, I just want to check on him. And she's like, okay, he's a murderer, maybe. I don't trust him. And he's like, I'm going to go check on him. And she's like, okay, that's cool. We never <laughs> see Dern again. Oh. Yeah, whatever. I could, Can I stop here? I'm not going to stop <laughs> I'm not gonna, gonna, come on. Yeah, she, she, they're just sitting in her very, like, um, new agey house. There's, like, Native American quilts on the wall and vases. It basically just looks like where Laura Dern actually lives. (laughs) And there's, it's just, She, like, describes a little bit the broken family, how, like, the mom couldn't deal with feelings, so she drugged her son until he couldn't feel, and all this stuff. Okay. So... Cut back to the couple. They're at a state park. You, like, they're talking, and you see he looks at the state park sign, and you're like, oh, he's gonna kill her. And they pull in, and there's a very murder bathroom. And he goes in, and then we see a very in-depth flashback of him murdering his parents. Um, so... What are we talking? Lizzie Borden style? Oh, it's good. Fire, um, fire while they sleep? Straight out of East of Eden? What so, there's this one flashback you also get where it's the mother, like, looking at this ribbon. And it's the ribbon he was, like, toying with the girl with. And he clearly took it when he killed her. Right. And I, she sees, like, you know she's seeing that and she understands what happened, like, because someone's missing and, like, that is a link to it. Yeah. So she's going to, like, call somebody. So he maces his mom and then kills her assumedly you don't really see how and then his dad comes home later and is like looking around and no one's there and he walks into like the one dark room in the house and then you just hear like a thwack and then like guttural like noises and the boy comes out with his bow and no arrow so clearly like shot his dad in the neck with a bow and arrow and murdered his ballsy play like that's in the in a dark room mind you yeah like because you might not drop somebody and if you're a child and they're a grown-up, like, I mean, even hey, if you wound me, he was all pierce hopped. me with an arrow. He was like, all hopped up on those antidepressants, I guess. will <laughs> make you crazy. This movie's just a scathing critique of Big Pharma. It really is. You know my favorite thing? Have you ever heard of the Twinkie defense? Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't horrible. know. I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> you mean how the guy got got off? Isn't that Harvey Milk? Yeah, the guy that the like the state senator or whatever he was that killed Harvey Milk got like pr- a slap on the wrist because he said he was eating a lot of Twinkies and it changed his body chemistry yes. and brain. And then uh, he wound up killing himself later. So good. Yep. That was, was that also the Twinkies? Oh, son of a bitch! <laughs> oh. Nick spilled coffee on his phone. We won't edit this out. I thought I broke my phone, too. Whew! Okay, back to this masterpiece of modern cinema. So boy kills parents in flashback. Uh, Yep, and he's like... The whole time... It's like cutting between him in the bathroom and him killing his parents. Like, he's like gripping the sink, and then he's like tearing paper towels out of the dispenser. And you don't really see what he's doing until he's done. He's making like a strangle rope out of paper towels. 
which I think is bullshit, because there's no way you could make a decent strangle rope out of paper towels with as little time as he had. Um, it depends if you've got, like, you know, quilted northern, oh, you no. get sort of the high end. They were, I mean, I guess I could see it, but, like, they were, like... Brawny deluxe. No, they were state park, like, jail, oh. jail thin brown paper towels. <laughs> New York state-issued paper towel, no. And, like, so he's done with the flashback, he's in, like, full murder rage... And he hears someone in the ladies' room, which is like, they're, it's like one building, they're connected. It's probably like has an open ceiling. You know, sure. you've been to a shitty bathroom. Yeah. So he goes over and he's like getting ready to get her. And then who comes out of the bathroom stall but a very butch security woman for the park. And then he like ducks back. And then he goes out and finds the girl. She's by the water and she just like talks about how like Gary raped her on a camping trip. And she wants to go on a boat. And they get back on the road. He doesn't kill her. She okay. saves herself with pity and sad stories. Okay. So we're back on the road. <sighs> ba, 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 ba. At this point, all I could think of were like those um, those animal friendships, like that tiger that was friends with that pig. Like <laughs> you know it's good. Like you like it's fun and cute, but you know it's gonna turn eventually. Yeah. And that's all I could think of for the rest of the movie. And I was <laughs> I was kind of alright at the end, but well, we're getting close. I promise. Um, they find this abandoned camper and they go in and the girl is just being like so obnoxious. She's like prancing around and like, oh, we should like the boy is like, I'm I'm a criminal. We should leave. And she's like, la da 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 da. She's picking up like a polar like a instant camera and taking pictures. And she's just saying this stuff like, what if the people that own this camper are murderers and there's seven pictures of murderers on this camera and then it's just us and we get arrested because it's us and the murderers. Ha <laughs> ha. It's just so much. And she like goes to the bathroom and he sees a hammer in the crib, which I think is hilarious because why would you keep a hammer in the crib? And he picks it up and he's like, oh, maybe. <laughs> I am getting a nosebleed right now from how. Who is born with a hammer in his hand? John Henry? John Henry! Steel Jim. driving man. Yeah! I feel like it was John Henry's crib. Every time we go off of topic for this specific movie, I feel literally ten times better. Physically yeah. and mentally. <laughs> so they're in, and then we see none other but Russell Crowe pull up right next to their car. Because he's now following them. Which seems not like a thing you're allowed to do. But it's fine. Even even later, like later, there's a whole thing where they actually like ha- like come head to head, and he's basically like, "I can't follow you anymore. <laughs> I-, I can't detain you." And I'm just like, "No shit, you couldn't do any of that the whole time, and it didn't stop you from leaving your sick wife." Anyway, so he he's like he's walking around looking through the woods, and he's like, "I'm gonna find him." He's like has his hand on his gun the whole time, you know how cops should be. Um, and then he gets scared by a deer, and he goes back to the camper, and they had left in the meantime. And then he gets back in his car, and the crucifix he gave the boy earlier in the movie is hanging from the window, and he literally, like, bounces out of the car, and he... <laughs> he has his, he He's, like, scrambling for his gun, and he opens the back door to, like, look in his own car, even though it's, like, a car. Like, you can see. It's not, like... I don't know. And then he's freaked out. And, um... Not that I want to be on the side of the murder boy, but I like that he did that. <laughs> Yeah. I like that he freaked out that cop. Good for him. Uh, where even are we? Um, uh, the boy's t- talking about the cop to the girl. He calls her. He calls him a small beans cop with a vegetable for a wife. 
The, the murder boy? Yes. He, I he, like him too. He, 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 <laughs> great. he called him that and he said, yeah, made him cry a little with that one. <laughs> it's like, that is very unfeeling, but also kind of a fan of that. No. Uh, they finally get to the motel. Oh no, they go to a different motel. A motel that Russell Crowe is coincidentally also staying at. Um, this is where he touches himself to the maid, kind of revealing like, oh, he has a type that he likes. And uh, the girl catches him doing this and she's like, I thought you were shy. And I was just this whole time thinking, like, he's a serial killer psychopath. Why Why do you have expectations? <laughs> and they're, like, eating in a... They're eating in a Chinese restaurant, and then Crow comes in there, too. At this point, I feel like they're trying to build tension, and it just doesn't work. Like, they're doing things identical to, like, Hitchcock things. Like, you see, like, they leave the restaurant right as Crow comes in, and then, like, you see their car pull off as he's, like, not looking, but in, like, the background. Right. And I know they want it to be so stress and tension, and I'm just like... I was so numb to it. I was like, oh, this sucks. I hate it so much. It's not good. If it were good, it'd be good, but it's not right. good. So they get to Funland. Thank fucking goodness. We're at Funland. Um, Crow has somehow gathered a whole gaggle of cops. It's like he's sitting in a restaurant with like eight other cops and just talking about how evil and psychopathic and like murder crazy this boy is. And this whole time, I'm just thinking, like, you don't know. He has no way of knowing. He just, he has a cult of people around him. And he's telling these stories. Like, if he were chasing somebody real, like Ted Bundy or something, I get it. But, like, it's a kid. And you don't know that he's crazy. He is. But he's, you don't know. Right. You don't know. You don't just get to, like, <laughs> minority report this kid. And, like, the cops even say, like, oh, so you're, you're on assignment? And he's like, no. <laughs> and he's like, ah, the boy's my hobby. And I was like, that's so fucked up. Yeah. That's not good. You're like, oh, man. Do we get Russell Crowe backstory that, like, this case broke him, even though the kid got convicted? No. no. <laughs> There's no... Ba- I, the only thing I can gather is that he's so broken because his wife got into a car accident. Right. I guess. Which has nothing to do like, with this. There's... Like, it's clear that, like, as a cop, he saw gruesome things, but, like, no more gruesome than anyone else. Like, I don't get why he's so broken as a person. Also, when he's in the motel, he sleeps in a chair because he sleeps sitting up because he's tough. You know? I mean, like, yeah, like, cops, right? You can do broken cop well. By the way, he wasn't. But (laughs) he's just so bad at this. I I don't get it. This is one of the latest skinny Russell Crowe movies I've seen, and he just wasn't good. I don't get it. Why be in a movie if you're going to be bad? I feel like the, <laughs> I feel like this movie was just a paycheck to everybody, legitimately. Like yeah. I was just watching, like, oh, what is going on here? Oh God. They're so the. <laughs> God. They're in. They go to another motel. They're, yes, they're at Funland now. The motel attached to the theme park, I assume. Um, then the girl is basically like, I want you to kill me. And the boy is like, Whatever gets you off my back sooner, honey. Hmm. He doesn't say that, but that's the vibe. So they're like, She's like sitting on the bed and he has a pillow. And she just says, No, I want you to do it with my hands. That With your hands. That's how I want it. And then like he's kind of like sitting there and thinking about it. And she's like, I love you. Please kill me. And he's like, nope. <laughs> he like walks out, like grabs a stuffle bag, and I was like, fair. Yeah, that's that. Uh, if I were a killer, I wouldn't want that. That's, yeah. uh, no, it's on ma- your. Terms. You're making it weird. This isn't role play anymore. <laughs> uh, so he, he walks out. Um, he goes to Funland the next day. He meets Maria, who is the girl he wants to 
date, murder, something. Sure. And there is literally so little tension. Like, invis, there's nothing going. Like, they were just walking around the theme park. Just, he's in, like, a little dumb button-up shirt. She's in a dumb little dress. And uh, the girl is following them around, wearing a Funland sweatshirt she bought, I assume, in Funland. Like, like lurking, like they don't know she's there? Kind of. Like, she's just, like, like he meets Maria, and she's just in the background. Right. So she's clearly stalking them at this right. point. It, it takes this weird turn where she is now kind of the bad guy for a little bit. Yep. And I was like, oh, there's so many weird things in this movie. Um... Uh, she, um, so him and her, him and Maria, they like go off to like a little beach on the ed- the fringe of Funland. They're like, he's giving her a necklace and like, you're getting vibes like, oh, is he going to kill her with the necklace? Blah, 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 blah. They're like there. And the girl is riding a roller coaster because she gave up on it. So she's on this roller coaster that overlooks where they are. And at a certain point, she like, she sees them. And then she starts freaking out. She's screaming his name and just like, I want to get off this damn roller coaster. And she gets off, she runs, and she's like, stop, stop, get away from him. And you think, oh, she's just being crazy, jealous girl person. But then you find out she saw all the cops that were like oh. in the bushes because he was getting set up. And I guess this girl was bait and this girl was fine with that. And th- like, but there's no crime until he there, attempts yes, to that murder is tr- her. Like, this is so bonkers to me how not real. <laughs> like, and all this. So he saw this girl in juvie. Assumedly, I, like, the Russell Crowe found out about this brief interaction, or maybe she was a plant from the beginning, and he was like, I'll cut your sentence if you literally be murder bait. <laughs> she was like, cool, why not? I get to go to upstate New York. I get to go to a theme park. I get to maybe get killed by this boy. And, uh, yeah, so... And then the cops come out, and they're like, hands on your head, don't move. And the boy's like, you can't do this. And I was sitting there like, you can't do yeah, this. that's not... <laughs> We're pretty sure you were going to murder And the kid is like, this is entrapment. You can't do this. Which I think him saying entrapment kind of implies that he was a little girl. But still, like, he didn't do anything. Right. And then we we basically cut. He, like, empties his pockets, whatever. We cut to Russell Crowe in the car with the girl. And he's like, this boy's a killer. You know that, right? She's like, yeah, I know that. (laughs) I want to be here. Shut up. Let me out. And he's like, okay, I can't help you anymore. And he basically says, I can't follow you. I can't detain anyone and i was like yeah no shit you can't do that so they leave the cops are like to russell crowe what are you gonna do and he's like i'm going home and he does <laughs> he leaves he's out of the story he gives up on his weird unhealthy obsession hobby with this murder boy and just walks out so they're on their way back to i guess less sad buffalo still sad they're on their way from Funland to sad buffalo new york and they stop at the same lake and he, she's like, a promise is a promise or something like that, which is not a thing that ever was said. But they get on a boat and they, they paddle out and they're just like sitting there. It's nice. It's calm. And then she just stands up. She starts screaming like nothing ever changes. Nothing ever changes. And then she starts doing this weird like she's doing like a sexy dance, but she's clearly just rocking the boat. But like the only way she knows how to do it, I guess, is with a sexy dance. And then she jumps off. And then, uh, yeah, she drowns. And uh, this is goth girl. Yeah. Drowns herself. She kills herself. And he's trying to save her, mainly because he probably knows if she dies, he will get in trouble. Yes. And he does. He He is murder boy Basically, the next scene is him in, like, the back of a jail bus, and Russell Crowe is sitting there, not facing him, but talking to him, like, from a few seats up. 
And he, Russell Crowe says, I should go talk to the DA and straighten this out. I'm not going to, though. <laughs> and he basically says, like, we both knew this was going to happen sooner or later. Let it come as it comes. And then he walks off. And the boy is sobbing, because, you know. He just, right. He, like, you know. Yeah, it's not cool. Not cool to imprison a boy for, like, no reason. Yeah. Especially if you know he didn't do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe's a bad cop. And the boy... Uh, I don't know, goes to jail for an indeterminate amount of time. And and then we see, like, little, like, snippets of life for everybody after this. Like, we see, like, Gary and the mom coming back from the funeral, and the mom, like, finds the murder journal and is all bummed about it. We see, like, Laura Dern just straightening pillows on a couch. I think we see, like, Russell Crowe with his vegetable wife. And yeah, it's so... There's this whole Russell Crowe thing about, like, pain and suffering. So yeah... Ugh. Could have been good. I feel like that was the worst movie description I've ever given on this show. It it wasn't good. It was bad. It could have been good. It wasn't. Um, I don't even know what the moral was. There are so many conflicting broken people in this movie that like there's no king broken person. <laughs> um, yeah. Was there was it trying to, right, it's called tenderness. Was it trying to extend empathy to people like Murder Boy? I guess. I mean, it like, it seems like that, but then it makes you seem silly for giving an empathy, him empathy. But then it ends with you like, oh, so he was really not the bad guy? Right. But he murdered people. He did. He definitely murdered. Oh, and then at the end you do finally see like, oh, he murdered a woman by the lake sent her down river and the girl saw him like with her naked body like caressing and assumedly raping it so that's like i feel like it just it twists his story so many like you feel good and bad and good and bad and then bad bad and then like a little good like right i don't know i feel like it definitely plays on the fact that a lot of people have a weird sympathy for people like that and i feel like sometimes it's more deserved than others like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer had a terrible home right. life and was abused and, like, was closeted and all this stuff. Like, there's some sympathy right. there for that, not as much for the murders. But then, like, you look at, like, John Wayne Gacy, he was just a fucking asshole that killed kids and buried them in his house and was a clown and owned KFC stands. Right. I don't know. I don't know what you want from me. Um, bad movie. Russell Crowe is bad. Murder Boy was okay. Laura Dern was in it for five minutes. You know what I learned from Dern? You live with a murder boy, don't lock your doors, because he's just gonna go murder some fake goth girl instead. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, that was... I feel like my ears popped. Like, I'm so... <laughs> Should we pause? No, we're good. Continue to I'm take f- a laugh? I'm fine. <sighs> okay, what's between your dirts, oh. Max? Oof. Okay, so I've got... Um, I watched two great films Ooh. and one bad television show. Interesting. And I'll start with the bad TV show. Because it's the one that just, I feel like I want to, you know, I don't want to segue immediately from your horrible film into good things. Um, The bad TV show, which I've learned apparently people love, um, they're wrong, but I watched The Undoing on HBO. Undoing. I don't know if I've heard of that. Which is, uh, it's a new show, it's a little mini-series, just five episodes, Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. As a very, very privileged, well-to-do couple. Um, and there's this other woman who's like this young, hot 
kind of outsider from the the rich person social circle mom who gets murdered and already i i you haven't seen big little lies have you not yet no so far i'm like oh this is just like why they're just trying to do big little lies which has nicole kidman as a very well-off woman and there is a murder and it's about sort of um the lives of rich people and Laura Dern is incredible as we will, as you will discover before long. Um, so it felt like a rehash of that at first. I'm like, this seems unnecessary because it felt like such a retread. And then it's revealed in, at the end of episode one, that Hugh Grant, Nicole Kidman's husband, who's this affable, charming, but just like rich man, um, that he is, in fact, a suspect in the murder of this woman. And now it's like, all right, all right, I'm in. Like, now now I'm thinking, all right, we're going to get twisty-turny thriller. It's only five episodes. What's it going to be? Is he a red herring? What's the backstory? They, they give you these pieces that, like, there's something interesting about it. Yes. Is he British? Yes. Okay. I've always... He, there must be something where he's played an American. I've always wanted to hear what his American voice is yeah. like. I'm no. so because he's so British. Like, you don't get he is British. Like he is. <laughs> when you think of British, it's just New Grant. Yeah. Um, and so, can, may I spoil this show? Oh, go for it. So he he's set up as the suspect, and then by episode two, it's like, oh, all signs point to him, and so it offers. It gives these clues that it might be this sort of indictment of the rich and their ability to insulate themselves from consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when have we ever seen rich people insulate right. themselves from, especially in this year, 2020, <laughs> my God. Um, and Donald Sutherland plays Nicole Kidman's very wealthy father. You know I, Donald Sutherland. I, I thought of Donald I'm, Glover I'm, for a second and I was like, I don't know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> He's quite an old man of color. <laughs> Um, and Donald Glover's not an old man. <laughs> Childish Gambino. Danny Glover mm, is an old mm-hmm. man of color. Sorry, I have, um, I have cookie in my mouth. Yeah. Or I will So Donald Sutherland gets no chance to shine because he's just this, like, stereotype, cold, frigid, super wealthy man. Um, and if you want to see Donald Sutherland play cold, frigid, super wealthy man, watch the show Trust where he plays John Paul Getty, who's a fascinating piece of shit billionaire. Wait, like the actual Miss Getty? Yeah. Oh, cool. Who I believe was, at least in part, the basis for... Or maybe his dad was the part? uh, There Will Be Blood, Daniel Day-Lewis, like oil man. Um, And Donald Sutherland's wonderful in that. He's terrible in this. But the real reason the show is terrible is that (laughs) it gives us no twists, no turns... And it is, in fact, you find out Hugh Grant did it. The guy who, like, obviously did it and was having an affair with this woman and was, like, at the scene of the crime and all these things. Oh, yep, that was it. And then they could have done that and made it good by, like, oh, but he gets off because rich people have all these resources and they're immune to consequence. But he doesn't. And it's kind of, like, Nicole Kidman does a good job. It's this performance where she's, like, doesn't want to look at the bad, like, the possible horrible truths in her life or in her family. Um, there's a minute where they make you think the kid did it. <laughs> and and it, and you turn out, it turns out Hugh Grant did it 
because he was always a sociopath. Oh, we learned that as a child, he, like, was a sociopath and had no remorse when his sister died. And it was, like, it took all the themes, one, the, like, twisty-turny plot, and just cast it aside. They mm-hmm. did not twist. They did not turn. There's no other suspect at any point. Um, it did not knock down its setup of, like, rich people without consequence or rich people doing bad things. It did not give us any sort of the... It suggested this theme of, like, the troubles or secret lives of the rich and their sort of social lives and and the murder as sort of a, a metaphor for the challenges they face, which Big Little Eyes does perfectly. And this doesn't do it at all. So I thought it sucked. But if you liked it, go listen to my friend's podcast, Undoing the Undoing, um, by Animals co-creator and author of bumper sticker coffee table book, Horn If You're Honky, Phil Matteries. I'm sure it's a wonderful podcast. I won't listen because I hated the show, but he's brilliant. Um, Two good movies. Have you seen um, a comedy that I feel like it went under the radar and was never fully appreciated, but I absolutely adore? Bad Teacher, starring Cameron Diaz. Yes, I have seen this more than once. Big, big fan. It is such a delightful film. I rewatched it this week. (laughs) Cameron Diaz plays just... Just a horrifically selfish and like hilariously mean, not give a shit, like kind of hot teacher. It it's I feel like it's like if school of in school of rock, if the music thing never happened and Jack Black was just like mailing it in that entire like two months. Yes, it's like she had no care to be a good teacher. She was like she's an unrepentant gold digger. She's getting high in her car and drinking in class and mm-hmm. shit. Um, it is a, a treasure for a few reasons. She's amazing. Justin Timberlake as this like over the top dorky. It's like all the all the other school teachers and the principal and stuff are like this real sort of hammy dorky like middle school teachers and Justin Timberlake is the new teacher and he's just just an absolute he he develops this romance with this other like insufferably nerdy like teacher's pet who turned into a teacher basically <laughs> and my one of my favorite lines is they're they're having this conversation where it's sort of their meet cute and the romance begins and she she says oh that reminds me so much of my favorite book and she pulls out eat pray love which is of course the most trite favorite book you could have and he goes oh, eat pray love well, that's my favorite book, too. And they're already, like, soulmates vibe. And she goes, what's your favorite part? And he sort of, like, contemplates for a moment and looks at her and goes, love. (laughs) (laughs) I have not seen this movie in a minute. I might need to revisit. It is worth a revisit. And and then we get Jason Segel as the gym teacher who is above the fray and, like, also doesn't give a shit about any of, like, the bullshit school people, but is a much nicer person than Cameron Diaz and recognizes her flaws. Um, but she's a total hottie and she's fun. And so, like, we see the romance that's going to develop with them. And what I love about that is it's, like, earned. Like, a bad movie would have, like, a boring, ugly guy somehow get with this babely asshole teacher. 
but he's like funny and sharp and like has got complete game that matches his character as like a gym teacher who likes to smoke weed but like isn't just a waste of space like it's not a seth rogan character you know oh seth um so it's a joy it's it's vulgar and fun and i love it to death um i also watched a movie called other people starring jesse plemons and molly shannon and uh, a host of other people you'd recognize a lot of young comedians and it's about he is a he lives in new york he's a writer he's trying to figure out his life um but he has to go back home to like iowa or indiana or something because his mom is dying of cancer and we learn that he's gay and that was never something that like his father especially really accepted and despite all that it's wonderful. It sounds like it could be the most hackneyed um, indie film. It's like, gay son, mom dying of cancer, right? It's the easiest thing to do badly, right? Shoehorn it in, be too on the nose with, like, messages of family and, and struggle. And instead, it's perfect. It is deeply funny, deeply moving, um wonder like nuanced throughout wonderful performances all around if you don't know jesse plemons he is uh proving himself to be just an absolutely unbelievable actor you may know him from breaking bad or this year's very strange very good film um what was it called i'm thinking of ending things season three of fargo okay and i want to see who the director was because i believe it was someone's oh yes chris kelly who i believe was an snl writer so it's oh it's autobiographical i did not know that um oh he goes back to sacramento that's right in sacramento ah snowy snowy sacramento (laughs) hey sacramento better than everybody in california says um other people i highly recommend very very good and now let's take a, a brief pause and we're back. Nick appears to have a case of cabbage colon. Ooh. Let me... Uh, <laughs> everyone knows I talk about this stuff. Um, so basically, um, I rushed out of the house today, as I usually do when coming to your house. And I, I was a little little wet between the cheeks still. A little, little swampy. And as you were describing your last film, I started to fart... And it was so wet that it was kind of bubbling and Ooh, yeah. it felt like I was just actively pooping. And I was like, oh no. I mean, I'm wearing brown pants, but still, I don't want to, I don't want to be early to the parade. So I had to run to the bathroom and I took care of things anyway, quite quickly. What else is between your dinners? <laughs> well, not that anymore. Thank goodness. Um, I just want to say another Two quick things about the movie I watched. No! <laughs> Real quick, I promise. Um, Russell Crowe filmed all of his scenes in nine days, which I believe. <laughs> and it, its average rating is around a 40%, which I wish I had looked at before I watched it. Yeah. So I had less hope to begin with. <laughs> so, my turns. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Well, last night I did something I rarely do. I watched a Muppets Property that I've never seen before. 
the Muppet Family Christmas Special. Okay. It was incredible. It is, of course, the story of all the Muppets going to Fozzie's mother ha- mother's house for Christmas. Um, Doc and the Fraggles also appear. Sesame Street characters come in. And um, at the very end, we get to see Jim Henson himself. Nice. When was this from? This would have been from, I think it's the late 80s, but let me just pull it up. Muppet Family Christmas came out December 16th, 1987. It was incredible. Um, I feel like Muppets and like John Waters things, like I try to be careful with watching new, like things I haven't seen of them because I know it's kind of at a point where there's never going to be more. Muppets, not as much, but like there's never going to be more classic stuff. Like once I hit a certain point, there's no more to see. So like there's two, two early, early John Waters films I haven't seen just because I know once I see them, I can never see them again. For For the the first first time. time. Exactly. Right. Like the first, the first time I saw Female Trouble, which is one of my favorite films of his, I was on my, I'm going to say 48th hour of no sleep. It was 9am and I was sitting in a basement classroom at Temple University with a triple espresso drink in my hand and me and my little friend Emily laughed our little gay heads off and everyone else in the class got very uncomfortable. <laughs> that was a great class because the teacher was just like a fun, like new agey, like if Laura Dern was like a New York Jew Okay. It would be her. And she was just, she was cool. And like everyone else in the class was, most of them were just there because they needed a credit. But right. I was there because I wanted to be. And my friend, now friend, because of that class, Emily, we both like really wanted to be there because like the curriculum involved watching a lot of cool movies. So we would just lose our minds and laugh and make little jokes at all the movies. And everyone else would be like, what the fuck are those two on? Oh, wonderful. It was a good time. We really enjoyed Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> no. Yeah. But anyway. So I did that. Very good special. It is on YouTube. If you want to go watch it, it's like... 40-ish minutes. Oh, perfect. Got some good songs, all the classic Muppet characters, all the original actors, etc. Good times. Let's see. I am plowing through Shit's Creek at the moment. Oh, I didn't realize you hadn't done that. I had not, but I've been doing quite well. I'm now on season six, the final. Um, Feeling a lot of things for the characters. They just, where I'm watching, they just performed Cabaret, which I very much enjoyed because that is my favorite show, musical-wise. It's a good time. It's a very good show. Um, Eugene's Eugene Levy's eyebrows really hold the whole thing together for me. Yes. In fact, I did know you hadn't watched it yet because we talked about this. My last time. my theory for season six was that Eugene Levy was going to die at the end of season five, and then his son would have to take up the helm of, of the, the brow. Yes, he would, he would show up the next season with really thick eyebrows and like be the dad. It it is. It's a long long legacy of of Levy patriarchs. <laughs> The the oldest living male or female must have a strong, strong brow. There's one thing that I'm sure will not happen in like the remaining 13 or 12 episodes I have left, but I really want Twyla, who is Eugene Levy's real life daughter, mm-hmm. in like a Halloween episode to be like um, Mark, Groucho Marx and really thick <laughs> painted on eyebrows. And just be like, what do you think, Johnny? And he's like, eh, they're a little big or something. That'd be fun. Aside from that, I have a little bit of gay cinema to discuss. Oh. Well, I finally broke down and watched the new Boys in the Band. I don't know what those words are. Okay, Boys in the Band was originally a play and then film, I believe, in the 70s. And it was like a big gay romp. It's about like a birthday party and a group of gay friends. And like, it's very, it goes into like a lot of queer politics. and like New York or San Francisco? New York. Okay. But it's like the classic one is one of my favorite movies. It's very like, um... What's a good word? 
um, like they're just like very like elite artsy like 60s 70s like gays that don't exist anymore really like, okay they're like, like very bohemian yes bohemian and like very uh, pretentious like like if you like this movie you're pretentious but it's fine sure it's just so good like there's there's so much like interpersonal conflict and like there's issues there's like a guy that comes who's maybe gay but is like hiding it he's like his old roommate and he's playing straight it's just very long and like there's a lot of stuff in it and the new one was originally a broadway play they brought back and it has like a bunch of newer actors it has um the guy that plays sheldon on big bang theory whose name is escaping right now it just jim has like parsons yes jim parsons um oh god i wish i'd written these down it just has a bunch of new actors it's very good if you like the original one, I think you will like this one. Is it a musical? It is not. Okay. There are, like, some dance numbers. It's very campy and, like, right. queer and, like, they just call each other bitch and stuff. It's it's fun. It's a good time. You know how they do. <laughs> you know those people. But it's fun. Effortlessly hip, campy gays. And, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's also very heavy. Like, yeah. especially, it gets, it's like one of those plays that, like, you know, you would leave feeling ways about. And the movie, I feel like, is very similar because it kind of ends on, like, a panic attack and stuff. And the new movie actually includes stuff that was in the play but not in the original movie. Okay. So it's just, like, a touch different. It's very good. Excellent. Yeah. So if you're gay or not, go watch it. It's a fun time. It's a very long time. But it's the bo- boys, boys in the Hood? <laughs> yes, Boys in the Hood. A famous, Classic famous, <laughs> a, fa- a famous um, pedestal of gay cinema. <laughs> and pillar of gay cinema. And the other one is a little bit of an easier watch, Uncle Frank. What is I, Uncle Frank? Well, um, if you are on the internet or have been for the last month, you've probably seen ads for it. Uh-huh. It is a movie. Oh. So, Little Derm. <laughs> no. Um, it has the young lady from Stranger Thing. No. It has the young lady from It. Okay. I forget her name, but she's in it. And it's basically about a girl from the South who finds out that her uncle is gay because she goes to NYU from the South. He works at NYU. They, like, hang out. She goes to a house party. She finds out he's gay. And then her grandfather dies, his father. And they go home, and there's this whole, like, conflict. His um, partner is like, I want to come with you. And he's like, you're not coming with me. But then he comes anyway. He, like, rents a car and follows them. And there's this whole thing about coming out and like his dad kind of hated him because he was gay. There was this whole thing. Um, when he was young, the person who his, his dad caught him having sex with in the house killed himself because of that and stuff. It's, it's heavy, but it's good. It ends well. Like if at the end, he like comes out to his whole family. Like everyone takes it pretty well. One person doesn't, but he's like married it. He doesn't matter. And this like the old aunt is like, uh, this, um, when I was young, there was someone in town like you, a backwards Billy like you. Of, of, <laughs> backwards uh, Billy. And then she's like, of course you're going to hell. And he just, he breathes and he like gra- takes her hand and she's like, he's like, um, I know that's the very best you're capable of. <laughs> and then he like kisses her head and just walks out. But it's a very good movie. It's very life affirming, queer. There's like issues of alcoholism and of course like the South. It's like the early 70s. I don't know. It's a very good movie. And, like, there was a lot of hype for it, so I was kind of expecting not to be as good, but it's worth it. It's, like, an hour and a half, roughly. But, yeah. So, Uncle Frank, good. I would suggest. Boys in the Band, if you are feeling feeling a little too happy, maybe watch that one. Okay. But, yeah. Excellent. That's, my derns are... Those are pretty good. Plum, plum tuckered. <laughs> God, this is a gross show. <gasps> Isn't it? <laughs> we just... 
I feel bad for our listener. Yeah. <laughs> we are fundamentally not this gross I mean, in real life. Yeah. Sure. Sometimes. Eh, 50-50. Yeah. 12 and 6 in one, half a dozen in the other. One in the hand. Two beats two in the bush. bush. Okay. So, I've heard you want to talk about feminism. Oh, I'd love to. Okay, what's your and little our little dern, dern. Little guy. So this comes from 2017, a short film called The Good Time Girls. And this was part of an anthology collection called uh, The Shatterbox Anthology by Refinery29. Hmm. I'm not sure what they are. Or that they're like, there's some sort of media... I know sort of modern feminine media like they write like blog articles but they also I guess have maybe a film studio of some kind um and Shatterbox Anthology is a collection of short films featuring female directors and this one is directed by a woman named Courtney Hoffman the good times girl the Good Time Girls, and I'll, I'll start with a quote she shared about it. Mm-hmm. The Good Time Girls is dedicated to the I- ideology that when women unite, incredible change is possible. I can't imagine a more important time to tell this story in our current cli- climate. Um, I am so grateful that Argent Pictures shares my vision and is supporting me along with my producers to homage a male-dominated genre with a feminine perspective on and off the camera. And with that, they certainly, um, they, so this film is a Western and it starts, we, we open with Dern holding a shotgun, hot, like a cowboy hat, like Western 1800s. She's got a shotgun and she shoots the gun. Ooh. And we can hear, like, the, the grunt. We hear this man, like, struggling, you know, um, off camera. And there's a voiceover from Darren. It's Russell Crowe. <laughs> also <laughs> Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe says, I was born in a whorehouse. Beds knocking walls was my lullaby. <laughs> Nothing comforts me more than the sound of men grunting and panting. And Wait a minute, that's just Hard Candy Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and that that is Dern's Clementine voiceover. And of course the grunting and panting in this particular case now is this off-screen man dying. Good. And then we then we go into uh, the whorehouse because Dern is um, a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of the older one. Last week, I, I was guessing she'd be the madam. She is not, um, but she's sort of the older, the the seasoned vet of the whorehouse. I don't, I don't know if they, they, she, she's she got the, the bomber jacket on. She <laughs> <laughs> World Series rings on each hand. She, she was what the the eighteen hundreds Western folk would call the milf of. The oh my god! <laughs> um, and we get. So we get sort of the, the gals all hanging around. One is playing the banjo, singing a song. Um, that's Katie the Cruel. Uh, one of them, the sort of younger one, there are two young ones, but one is Maybe from Arrested Development. Oh, yeah. Who I will refer to. Her name is Alia Shawkat, is the, the actress. She's great, um, but I'm going to call her Maybe because it's more fun. But then we get the 
Um, then we get three mean old cowboys come strolling in. And it's real, like, just, like, on-the-nose western, kind of like, oh, this is trouble. Right? They're, and they're gruff, angry men. And Duren's voiceover lets us know that this is the Rufus Black gang. <gasps> My God. Um, Rufus Black himself is played by Garrett Dillahunt, who is from the uh, maybe the best family sitcom ever made, Raising Hope, where he is the father, Rufus. Uh, or the fun, not Rufus, he's Rufus in this. He's the father in Raising Hope, which is hysterical and wonderful. And I think I've mentioned it on here before, but a great look at sort of a, a working class, poor, struggling family, but like a really earnest, meaningful, touching family sitcom um, and hysterical one. So that's him. He's he's not as funny in this because he's uh, a monster. Ah, well, you know. Um and here we get another Dern voiceover uh, about the Rufus Black gang. They tried to break us. They tried to ruin us. But instead, they created us. And so they, they these three mean old men, it's already like, it, it tries to be high tension that these are just, you know, they're, they're being lecherous. They're being cruel. They have guns. So there's sort of this thread of violence. Um, and there's three of them. And there's three of them. And there are like eight hmm. women in in the whorehouse or something like that. You know, when I think of an Old West gang, I think of more than three people. Yeah. Like five. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> like three, a round number. Three's hardly a posse, yeah, let alone a gang. I wouldn't even call three a group. The Beatles. <laughs> there's four Beatles. I don't know. <laughs> so they, they sort of, they like creepily choose their women. Um, and they all go into various rooms. And then we get another Dern voiceover that says, These brutes are all the same. But once you get a man in bed, he's got nowhere to hide. <sighs> and then, and this is about 15 minutes, you can watch it on YouTube. But, uh, so there's just silence for 15 minutes? That's kind of messed up. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, whole, the whole film is ah, 15 okay. Um and then sort of right the they're all sort of panning from going from room to room uh in these various sexual encounters as they're occurring and then as if on cue um Dern pulls a shotgun out from under the bed um there's sort of this this young redhead pulls out like a revolver and just shoots the guy in the head um maybe is is the only one that's slightly different. She is bathing this man in sort of this milky bath um, and and jacking him at the same time. She pulls out a knife and cuts his junk off. Oh, yeah. Um, and so it's sort of this reveal. All these women um, basically kill these guys. But but Rufus, the leader, gets, gets shot in the shoulder or something and he, he tries to escape through the window and he's like sort of trying to hobble away but they all he can't get anywhere he falls down in the grass and then then they all come out and it's Dern with the shotgun he is of course the off-screen man from the beginning where she reveals that um him and his gang had had raped one of them um, had killed another's parents and and stolen their their stagecoach or their their horse um 
and Dern shoots him. Uh, which is nice. It's, you know, Dern body count. We haven't updated oh, that in a while. Uh, two, I guess, now. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even... Uh, the first episode? Didn't she murder? Yeah. Wow. What a, what a time. So, yeah. Um, so we got murder Dern. That was cool. Nice. Um, but I'd like to talk about what this film was trying to do and how I think it, like, completely missed the mark. I think, one, as a story, there... there there wasn't any tension here because we're introduced to Dern as sort of right with her narration and her sort of, and starting with her killing a man, Mm -hmm. we already know there's toughness. So we're never quite as scared of these men as maybe the movie thinks we should be. Um, So I think it didn't do a good job. It it was very straightforward. It's like bad men come to whorehouse, whores kill bad men, the end. Um, and let's go back to that quote, right? This is dedicated to the ideology that when women unite, incredible change is possible. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> it, it, I understand the desire to empower women and the fact that this anthology does in fact empower women to direct these films is wonderful. And I, I assume and hope they're, they're excellent short films in this collection. I believe all of which you can find online. So if you are interested, certainly um, check out Shatterbox Anthology. But, and there, I read a bit more with the, the director had said, she, right, she wanted, she saw Westerns as America's Greek mythology um, that created sort of the white male hero in cinema and storytelling. And I love the idea of looking at that lens and considering, you know, make it a female perspective, empower the women in these stories, because these women often were empowered, despite the fact that they were treated horribly. Um, but that's, but all she's doing is giving them like the traits of that white male Western cowboy myth. And that's not, to me, there, there's nothing empowering about that at all. It's rushed. It's rushed. Like you're just, you're in 15 minutes just jamming in like women murdering men and trying to call that yeah empowerment, it, like a res- resolution basically. Right. And it's sort of. It's like, it, we can look at how it's super fucked up that the empowered male might be the violent Western cowboy. And then you don't, like, do f- women a great service by just making them that same type of, like, violent actor. Um, because, one, it's not it's not true to these women in any way, right? There were whorehouses all over the West. They, there were women who had, you know, awful lives, awful experiences, but also were empowered in their own way. And this doesn't feel honest towards what any of that reality was like. Um, this, right, by by contrast, as I said la- last time, I'm reading East of Eden by John Steinbeck, which uh, a bit of it, uh, a big setting is a whorehouse in the Salinas Valley, California, in the early 1900s. And there, right, uh, the the women are painted as sort of as recognizing the humanity and power that they have without needing to turn them into something they weren't right it doesn't shy away from the horrors of that experience that that cause women to be put there if you want to look at western whorehouses like there is a power dynamic between 
the the brothel owner, the madam, if there's a pimp, and the women who find themselves like the, this is it it's sex slavery for some, right? For many women, or de facto sex slavery because there's no other um, way to survive for many of these women. And like to properly empower women, I think is to you know look at that more honestly. For one thing, um, I was not surprised to learn that this woman, Courtney Hoffman, who she had been a, a costume designer previously, um, and the costumes in this are wonderful. Oh, it looks it looks great. It looks the the setting's great. It's you know it's there's not much to it, but she nails it. It looks looks beautiful and as good as any Western visually. Um, and she she was the costume designer for Baby Driver, hmm. um, and, but also, and in retrospect, this didn't surprise me at all, The Hateful Eight and Django Unchained, where she was Christoph Waltz's personal costumer. Huh. Um, and she uh, explicitly referenced in an interview how Quentin Tarantino's work um, helped craft her vision. And I've already railed against what I've seen now is just a stale trope of Tarantino, which is have the good guys murder the bad guys, the end. And it's like, and that was all this movie was. And right. I, I think he wore, I think he, Tarantino did a wonderful job of that with *Inglorious bastards and then a progressively worse job each subsequent time. Um, and she, I'm like, it sucks that that appears to be what she learned from Tarantino is the, what I see as the worst part of any of his films of the last decade. Um, and that that's all there is, right? So it's 15 minutes and it's only that is so disappointing. I do think it's especially hard to make a Western short film, right? Yeah. So I cut right because... A good Western scene is longer than 15 minutes. They're the slowest. It's like you can have 15 minutes without dialogue of just staring and looking. And that's your tension, right? That That's, oh, oh, it's amazing. Um, so to try to pack all that in where she nails the setting. But I feel like right, would this, this movie... I don't know that you could have made a great feminist Western in 15 minutes. Yeah, that's a um, tricky one. It's a very hard one. So, right, maybe there is a story here, but one that would be fleshed out into into a feature film, perhaps. Right, I, I don't want to malign Courtney Hoffman too much for what I think was a, a very difficult task. Um, but at least from what she's shown here, it seems like, like an, an almost token or just a mythical representation of feminism it's like saying girl power and thinking that's what it is or thinking that like like i'm reminded of like get women in stem which is you know get women as scientists and engineers or get women working on wall street and it's like these are all yeah women if they want to do those things are great but to just like clone what is seen as like what men do and just apply it to women is just I I think just not not empowering enough, not yeah. not good enough, or not not a big enough recognition of what feminism is trying to accomplish. Which is not just make women like men, make them be like men. It's no make women be fully empowered women in whatever ways they want. 
So to just sort of turn them into violent, you know, almost vigilante folk. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> I well, didn't like I'm it. I'm glad we both hated our movies this week. Yeah, I mean, yours sounds much worse. It At was, the very least, if, much, if, much I was longer. Say, if nothing else, it was very long. Un- unneededly long. If you want a good, like, four and a half hour film experience that really shows you all of the things humanity can be, I would suggest um, Back to the Future, one through three. It, <laughs> it Wait, hear me out. It gives, it. this lands on where you are. Okay. Um, it gives you every, like, it gives you the three great parts of any, of humanity. The past, the future, and cowboy. <laughs> really lets you see like all of the things you could be. You, what you were, what you will be, and cowboy. Yes, exactly <laughs> right. One and what else is there? There's only three stories you can really tell. The <laughs> Alpha, the Omega, and of course, cowboy. A stranger coming to town, a man going on a journey, and cowboy. <laughs> oh. All right. What is a Western you would suggest to somebody in place of watching this? I will admit that I haven't seen nearly as many as I'd like. I haven't seen many of the the iconic greats. Um, but one that I have seen and I absolutely loved um, is one called A Fistful of Dynamite. Ooh, which A Fistful nice. of Dollars is another Western that had preceded it, that is regarded as one of the classics. I've not yet seen Fistful of Dynamite. The studio made them use that title to play off of the success of A Fistful of Dollars. Um, But if you want to see sort of what I'm describing as um, a perfect scene in a Western, along the opening scene of that movie is like 25 minutes and is its own wonderful short film. Um... It's beautiful. It's like a long, it's a three-hour movie, Westerns, right? It's a very, very slow burn. Um, but the, but if you just, if that intimidates you, just watch the, the opening scene. And you can take that as its own story. Or if it grabs you the way it grabbed me, you'll want to keep watching the rest. Nice. Um, and then I'd offer a book that I read years and years ago. And so I read it in high school and I loved it. And I do not... Um, recall enough specifics. I do want to reread it. Um, but I recall it as being quite feminist. There's a female lead. Um, and I recall it being awesome. But I can't full. I need to read it again before I can fully vouch for that. Um, but it was called uh, Welcome to Hard Times by uh, E.L. Doctorow, who is a, a classic American author. And it was sort of created as an anti-Western and a subversion of these sort of genre tropes. Um, and it was an absolute joy. And, and you know, gunfighting and brothels and robbery. You know, all the, all the, the Western stuff. It's all in there. So Interesting. Um, that I would absolutely recommend. Hmm. Yeah. Well... Well, well, well. What a week it has been. Yeah. I guess I should see what we're doing next time. Of course. Alrighty, next time on Dern After Reading, we will be watching 
respectively. Oh, God. I get to watch Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. I've heard of that. Which I believe is in the running with White Lightning to be her first credit. Where she just plays like a a baby. Right, a background child. I feel like this one might have been very briefly after White Lightning. And you will be watching a movie called Wilson. What, pray tell, is Wilson? Hmm. Oh, right. Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore is Scorsese. Oh, you'll be watching a movie featuring Woody Harrelson. All right. Another 2017. Oh, it looks like an Ooh, indie dramedy. That lo- your movie looks pretty good, actually. Judy Greer is in it. That I can get behind. We do love a Greer. And Cheryl Hines. Man, it's like both both of Max's favorite skinny, sexy, blonde, white women. I just want you to see And Margot Martindale. Oh, this movie better be good. Look at this photo from the movie. I'm already excited. Yeah. Darren and, and a bearded, <laughs> a bearded Woody Harrelson. He appears to be a much nerdier than yes. than typical. He de- he looks like a man who would be called Wilson. Yes. Uh, a premise: a lonely, neurotic, and uncomfortably honest middle-aged man, Woody Harrelson, reunites with his estranged wife, Laura Dern, and meets his teenage daughter for the first time. Um, I hope this is good. The cast is uh, absolute knockout. And uh, I'm looking forward to this. Good. And I will be watching a two-plus-hour Martin Scorsese film to see. I'm going to guesstimate right now 45 seconds of a baby Laura Dern. Yeah, but like at least it's a Scorsese film. That's true. I have not seen this one either, so... it's. Uh, I think it's going to be great. I might watch yours, too. I might also watch yours. We will see how it goes. Yes. Hmm. Very good, very good. What'd you, what'd you learn about Dern? <sighs> very little. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. What did I learn about Dern? Um, I guess... If I mean, I, I guess if you really boil it down, if you're letting your murderer nephew live with you, maybe spy on him a little more. I mean, the, the whole story could have been cut right in half if she knew what was going on. But also, if you spy on him, he might kill you. So, I guess the real moral of the story is that if your nephew murders your sister and brother-in-law, don't let him live with you. Probably. Yeah. Probably a good call. Just a, a nice general rule. No, known convicted jailed murderers, probably don't let them live with you. Yeah, guys, if you find yourself in that situation, I don't want to get too Ann Landers with this, but... If a murder boy solicits housing from you, um, turn them away. Yeah, maybe, you know, ha- there's halfway houses. Yeah. Yeah. Have them start there. Yeah, let him, give them a month Let them turn into manslaughter boy before you open the door. <laughs> give them a dry run with some strangers that don't matter to you personally. <laughs> oh, and what about you? What did Cowboy Dern teach you? Um... Cowgirl. Oh, I'm sorry. Cowgirl. She's a cowgirl cow person. Dern. Real lean in energy. Um, her name was Clementine, which I don't think I mentioned, but I like. It's a good name. Um, I learned that she can sort of do 
Right, it was a different... I, I would like to see Dern as this type of character more. This, like, badass Western woman. Yeah. Um, because she can do it pretty well. She, right, she was sort of the leader of, of the group. Um, and, like, her, like, tough voiceovers um, were cool. So I learned that she could kind of... That wasn't a type of character I yeah. think I've seen from her before. Um, where she's just, like, a, a bad bitch. So I learned she could do that and do it pretty well. Like her, her performance was good. Hmm. So yeah, nice. Thanks, Dern. Thank you, Dern, for showing us your full range of paranoid ants and cowgirl boss. Yeah, she's got southern accent. She's got country accent. She's got western accent. She's got country western Next accent. Next week we're gonna see dramedy and baby Dern. So until then, let's keep this big ball rolling. Oh, man. Yeah, that's all we got. That's it. What was that? Three hours? Felt like four. Oh, God. Whew. It was a long run. Well, everybody, time to hit the old dusty trail once more. Mm-hmm. Happy trails. Happy trails. Thanks, Dern. Stay safe. Thanks, Dern. Don't die before we yeah, publish wear, this. Wear a mask. We'll be assholes. Don't leave your house. Yeah. See? Oh,